Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, this week on the show, we have another, you know, we always like to highlight when we have international guests, we try to get people in other countries to get global perspectives as much as we can. Um, as you know, uh, Queston does our best to cover immigration stories, um, especially uh, deportation stories and immigration law. Um, it's one of the verticals on our website. Um, and a friend of ours uh, who's been on the show several times, Shirley Avney, uh, is now based in Mexico City. City, uh, and she's been working with a number of people there who are filmmakers and artists talking about the experience of people who grew up in the United States um, and were deported as adults or young adults um, who are now living in Mexico and what that cultural experience is. Uh, so we're always trying to get Shirley on the show. And every time Shirley is like, I'm boring. Don't bring me on the show. I work with people who are a lot cooler, a lot more interesting than me. I disagree. I think Shirley is cool and interesting, obviously, but I'm always really glad when she puts us, puts us in touch with people that she's working with, right? Mostly, you know, young people, mostly creative people um, who have a story to tell. Um, so tonight our guest is Lalo. Um, I'll let you tell, I'll let him tell you about his story, but he's a filmmaker and a poet, um, who's making art and making a film about the experience of being a person who spent the majority, you know, their whole lives essentially in the United States, um, and was deported as an adult, uh, from the United States and is living in Mexico and now making art. Uh, and poetry about his experience and about the experience of other people. Um, so I want to welcome you to the show. Lalo, first of all, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Cool. My pleasure. Um, I, uh, I do want to start off by talking about your film. You know, the documentary is the first thing that Shirley told me about you. Well, she said a lot of things about you. She's like, oh, my God, you got to meet Lalo. Lalo's tight. Lalo's a poet. Like, he has this incredible story. He's making a film. You know, the way that Shirley is. She's always yeah. very enthusiastic and, you know, she, she likes her people. Um, so, but, you know, you and I spoke a little bit about the documentary, and it seems like it, it speaks to a lot of your art and a lot of your experience. So, um, can you, as I understand it, you know, it encompasses a lot of different issues, right? Like you're talking about the experience of people who were deported from the United States now living in Mexico, but also, you know, how the politics in Mexico have shifted, right? Particularly with Trump as president, you know, that uh, maybe opportunistic politicians or maybe good politicians uh, understand, you know, that uh, you know, Trump is a, a very easy villain uh, for people in Mexico because of his immigration policies and that it uh, being sympathetic to people who have been deported uh, and are back in Mexico is maybe a, a political tactic or a way to, to bring more supporters. Um, and then also, of course, you're telling the stories of other people who have had a similar experience um, of deportation. So um, just some background, like how, how did this film start? Like, did you think it was going to be just your story? Were you trying to tell other people's stories? What was the, you know, how, what was the impetus? How did this film get started? Thanks for your interest in the film, man. I haven't really spoken to a lot of people about the film. Um, it's low. It's a low budget documentary. It's been getting a lot of, a lot of good. It's been opening doors for me here in Mexico, and it basically now I'm starting to go into post production, as it's basically about uh, a trip that I took in 2018. And where I met different people in Mexico City, 
that we're out in the streets or we're out in the, you know, like out doing activism for the community. So I started meeting people and I started just turning on my camera. Uh, the idea of making a documentary actually came in 2016. That's when I had the idea, but I didn't really get down to it until like 2017, late 2017, because I didn't know what it was about. Um, when I was back home, I was doing a little bit of uh, community organizing with the undocumented youth, you know, because that was back before DACA when it was the, the Dream Act talk. And I was part of the first Dream Team in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that's when I started getting involved with the community. So when I got deported, I was like, who's doing things for our community here? You know, like there's little talk about deportation, but they're not they're they're still seeing us uh, as those people that went to the States to look for a better life or to go work, you know, like that whole concept doesn't really apply to us because we were taken as kids. You know, we're taken as kids. We grew up over there. It's like, we have roots there too. You know, like it's going to be very different if you went to the States as an adult or like, it's going to be very different if you went in the nineties or in the eighties or in the two thousands, or especially after 2001, after the after 9 11, you know, because ICE came at, came from that. And so it all depends when you went over there, how old you were. So that's when I started thinking like, nobody's really doing things for our community here. We're like invisible. Like it took us years over there in the States to be recognized that our biculturality, you know, that we, yeah, we're Mexican, we were born in Mexico, but we grew up over there. So it took us a long time to be recognized over there. And here in Mexico, we're barely, you know, like there's been a lot of uh, people pushing in different spaces for us to be recognized over here, too. And as soon as Trump got elected, the government, the Mexican government really got a hold of that. And they started making commercials. Peña Nieto started going uh, on the news and saying, we welcome deportees with open arms. The guy even went to the airport uh, in Mexico City, which is where one of the 12 places points where it's a repatriation point. There's 11 at the border and then there's Mexico City and now there's Guadalajara. They fly in. So wow. he even went there and just made a big show, you know, like, but it's just this whole deportation thing. Nobody's really thinking about this other profile, you know, like that grew up over there. We're coming back. We speak English, you know, like, because something that, that happens here in Mexico that has happened throughout the years, if you speak English is because you have money or usually it's the lighter skinned people, you know, like that the wealthy people that they were able to go to, to an English school since little. So like we're coming back, you know, like lower, let's say lower income, people that went to the States, took their kids, we're coming back, you know, we're short, we're brown kids, you know, speaking English. So everyone, especially like in Mexico City, when when they hear us speaking English, they're like, oh, like, why are you speaking English? You know, you're brown. You're not like the white Mexicans that can speak English. They're allowed to, you know, like, it's like we're not allowed. Right. And right. Um, so, yeah, so I was starting to look into that. And I turned on my camera and I was like, I'm just going to record everything that's around me, the people that I'm meeting uh, around me, my friends. And 
tell the story like from us, you know, not what the media is showing because the media was very opportunistic too. And yeah. so I, I just turned on my camera and I was like, I'm going to make a damn documentary. And it's like, I've been winning some prizes, nice. getting awards for it and scholarships. So yeah, so that's, no, that's incredible. I mean, I think, um, I mean, there's so much of this that is really intriguing because it goes against a lot of the narratives that we have, that most people have about like, what is immigration? What is deportation? You know, um, kind of what you're saying about the assumptions in Mexico about like, oh yeah, who goes to the US? It's very similar to the assumptions that Americans have about who's here, you know, what an immigrant looks like. You know, I think a lot of the, you know, popular media images and the narrative that we're familiar with, particularly people who are coming from Mexico, is like you're saying, you know, it's people who are adults or, you know, at least close to adults who are coming here for an opportunity, um, whether documented or undocumented. Um, and that's very different. That leaves out like the very unique story that you're saying, um, which, you know, now we call them dreamers, right? Now we have language for that. What does it look like for someone who came here as a child? What kind of opportunities should we extend them? So I think, you know, for us as a news organization, as for, for people who try to organize around um, or at least advocate for or be aware of immigrant rights, I think there's more of a awareness of like different immigrant stories, particularly people from Mexico. But it's very interesting to hear that there's a similar misconception in Mexico where like Mexicans think about, oh, who went to the U.S.? Oh, it's the same. They're making the same kind of generalities. You know, I'm very intrigued to hear. You know, I, I can only imagine what that kind of like cultural flip-flop is where you're going back to the place ostensibly where everybody thinks you're quote-unquote from you know what i mean but not really because you grew up in utah you know what i mean um and i i just don't you know this is partly why we like having international guests because as you know you know america we we have like a very um narcissistic perspective on everything we only understand the world through an american lens you know so it's very important for us to remember like oh yeah every country has their own crazy stuff going on independent of the united states and that's very true i think for this reverse experience of people who are, you know, sent back to Mexico and what is your place in the culture now? Right. It's a very important question. Is anybody else talking about this? Is there anybody else in like Mexican media? Is there any activism? Are there like support groups that are set up or are, like, you're like the only person who's trying to like have no. a voice. For this no? Okay. No, I mean, but, I don't know, I'm ignorant. I need, I need to learn, you know what I mean? But, so who, who's doing that work? You know, like, like when I started thinking about making this film, like nobody was really talking about it. And then I'm telling you, like this whole Trump thing came and it was all over the media. Um, there's some organizations have that have started since then. But it was just basically the media took that shit and just like ran with it. And just, I want to go back to what you're saying, this term dreamer, you know, like the media and the Mexican government during Peña Nieto, they, they took that, you know, like. And they used it for political purposes like they do in the States, you know, like, and they yeah. just ran with that. And that uh, term is very like I grew up in the States and I was in the marches fighting for the Dream Act. But I, I never considered myself a dreamer, you know, even though I grew up over there, because that I think that term is very uh, exclusive. It exclu- excludes a lot of people, Yeah, you know, like because you have to be like straight A student and like. Most of the people, you have to be like the perfect, like moral human being ever, you know, like, 
don't know. And it's just uh, so it excludes a lot of people. That's why only like 800,000 people have DACA, even though there are millions that grew up over there as kids from other countries, you know, that are still undocumented because you have to be like, like the perfect boy, the perfect girl for for you. So like it excludes all these people that also grew up over there that don't identify. So they see that the Mexican government is giving these like um, opportunities or whatever to dreamers, dreamer this, dreamer that. So a lot of people that are here like, man, I never, I never qualified for the Dream Act or I never qualified for DACA. So I'm not a dreamer, you know, like, so I think we have moved past that, you know, like the whole dreamer thing. Uh, a lot of us have, and that's when that's the government and the media, they just ran with that. So we want to give other narratives, you know, because we were more than over there and here. We're more than just like a straight student or someone that's trying to study. We do other stuff, too. You know, like we're trying to do photography. We're trying to do film. We're trying to do theater. We're trying to do other things, too. So we're not just that. And so what I mean, that's a very important distinction. And that's also just helpful for me to know, because I think just as an American and, you know, I have my own level of ignorance. Right. Like that's just the word that that I use. Right. Like that's my shorthand. That's how I conceive of someone who like came here, you know, with their parents when they're a kid and like lived their whole life here. And they're not documented, but they've kind of been through the whole like American experience. And they are American people who just don't have just happen to not have the paperwork. I use that word dreamer. But when I hear you make that distinction, I'm reminded, oh, yeah, just like you said, dreamers are only people who hit exactly the right boxes. And the only time you see a quote unquote dreamer on television, it's like this person is graduating from UC Berkeley with a degree yeah. in chemistry, you know, and like because that makes us feel good. Right. That makes us be like, oh, yeah, like America's so great. Look, you know what I mean? Like, let's let's help these kids out, you know, and, and people aren't like that. People are complicated or people have different life paths or people have different goals or people have different dreams that aren't the dream um so i i guess i have to ask like what is a better phrase what's a better way to talk about this group of people who grew up in the states undocumented but were there their whole lives like what what do you guys use to refer to yourselves anything well there's there are a few terms that have come up in the last years you know their uh, childhood arrival yeah you know, like but really there's no because you can't put us everyone is in this and a lot of people don't identify with such terms you know like some people are just like Oh, I'm from New York or I'm just, you know, I'm from California <laughs> yeah. or like, I'm not a dreamer. I'm not this, you know, I'm just me or like, it's yeah. just these terms that are being used for these purposes, you know, like, but yeah, like here in Mexico to identify us, we're calling us deportees or returnees, but some people are, call, are still calling themselves dreamers. It's, it's uh, it depends, you know, like how yeah. you identify. I mean, yeah. And, the terminology terminology is always tricky, like no matter what group you're talking about, because I think usually the reason terminology is so important is one for media to make things simple for people. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to have this be we don't want to talk about how complicated this issue is. Let's give one label for these kinds of people. You know what I mean? Like if we're talking about the election, it's like, oh, you know, white uh, white people 
uneducated voters. You know what I mean? It's just like, think about how many people are included in that and you're leaving out their stories. You're like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, suburban moms or like, you know, uh, urban black voter. It's like, bro, that is such a broad term that doesn't encompass people. And the other groups of people who really like to use terms like that are politicians because they're like, hey, listen, you're in a category now. How do I appeal to, you know, the, you know, like, um, uh, recent, you know, how do I get the immigrant vote? How do I get the Catholic vote? You know what I mean? It's like, there's no such thing. Like these are, you know, being a, being a Catholic doesn't mean anything about your politics necessarily. Right. So I think as much as I, you know, I'm curious about the terminology that's more accurate. I also kind of, I'm with you. I'm like, well, how important is it for, to, for us to have like one word that explains yeah. everybody, but yeah. so that's helpful for me. So I appreciate you explaining that. Yeah. But, uh, let me backtrack a little bit uh, about the film because I have to give you a little bit of insight. On I was doing uh, community work back in Utah, so when I arrived, I was like, "No one's looking out for our community. Who's doing what?" You know. So once I started thinking about this film, I was in film school in Puebla. I moved to Puebla State and I went to film school over there, and I started thinking. I was like, "I don't know, but I'm just gonna." tell this this is not being told this the diversity of our community is not being told this is not being told um so many things aren't being told so i had this huge uh wall you know and i had papers everywhere my scenes my everything that i was going to talk about all these topics but obviously i couldn't fit all those in a documentary i was looking at this thing from an activist point of view because i was barely starting to get into film um so I had all these things that weren't been told, and I just kept turning on my camera everywhere I went, around my friends. Most of my friends here also come from the States. I don't have any friends from here in Mexico, really. And um, I just turned on my camera. Wait, you're and- saying, hold on, that's, I'm curious about that real quick. I don't want to interrupt you, but are, mm-hmm. you're saying, like, most of the friends that you have in Mexico are other people who grew up in the U.S. and got deported. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah, they're deportees or returnees that grew up over there, too, from New York, from Cali, from Las Vegas. Yeah. From Is that because, like, have you had a hard time just, like, connecting culturally with people who are just, like, who are not, who didn't grow up in the U.S., who are just straight-up yeah. Mexicans? Or is it... Uh, it, yeah, it, there's yeah. there's a bunch of reasons, you know. Yes, but generally that's that's yeah. one thing. Like when I came back here to Juarez, the kids that were my friends when I was like five, like I came back when I was 23. Those kids either they got gunned down during the drug war here in Juarez, or they have like five kids with like three different girls and like all these different spaces, and they work for uh, maquiladora which is like an assembly factory. Mm-hmm. And they have such a different lifestyle or different view of, of life, you know, like, but also because the way that they grew up, the things that luckily I didn't have to go through because I was like hiking and camping up in the mountains, you know, growing up while the people from my generation here were ducking bullets from the cartels, you know, like during Calderon. And so yeah. like we grew up in such a different atmosphere that like we can't connect sometimes like all yeah. we have to talk about sometimes just like soccer so oh how was the game or like that you know like and yeah. that's it man so and, and it also depends where you come back you know if you come back to a city or if you come back to a small town uh my girlfriend's from an indigenous community and they don't really speak spanish over there they just speak their language which is a yuke and so if imagine growing up in the 
in the States being deported and coming back to the little town, indigenous, indigenous town that your parents left, but you don't even, they don't even speak Spanish there. So you don't even know the language because maybe your parents didn't teach it to you. Yeah. You don't really speak Spanish. So you just speak English in, in this little town. So there's, it's very diverse where you come back. You know? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another part of the story that we forget in the United States is like Mexico is a huge country with mm-hmm. a really diverse population and lots of different states and lots of different climates and lots of different cultures and indigenous cultures. And, um, you know, it's it's much easier to talk about it in a very narrow way. But just like any country, it has a lot of complicated like social factors like that. Uh, I only asked that just out of curiosity because, you know, like you said, people relate to each other based on a cultural experience. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you had lots of friends in Utah that you were just, you know, you guys grew up doing the same thing, hunting, not hunting, hiking, fishing, you know, being in nature. You guys have similar interests, um, similar frustrations. You have a shared cultural experience and you, you know, have been removed from that. And that is a big part of it is going to a place where, you know, you're surrounded by people who don't have the same cultural experience. I, you know, that's the only reason I asked that. But, you know, you were making a point about the film, you know, just saying yeah. like once you once you first started turning the cameras back on. Right, and I interrupted, yeah. so I apologize. No, but what were you cool. going to say? So once I, I just started rolling the cameras, trying to figure out how I'm going to make this documentary for, about our community, you know, like that is going to be different than from what the media is doing from uh like revictimizing our stories, you know, like how it's being used for political purposes. So I just turned on my cameras and like two years later, once I know a little bit more about film and narrative, I was like, holy shit, I think this is about me. I didn't want to be in it. (laughs) I didn't want to be in it. I was like, nah, I've told my story a few times. I don't want to be in it. I want to tell the story of our community. And then I started getting into these workshops and getting accepted into film festival like workshops. And I had to obviously type my treatment, send in my paperwork. And I kept getting accepted to all these workshops with different like film festivals here in Mexico. And every time that I would work on my film and it would, I would narrow it down. I was like, holy shit, this is my story. As much as I didn't for like two years, I didn't want it to be my story. And everyone's like, dude, this is like your story. So... It's basically about this trip that I took in 2018. And I, I just followed this organization around with the camera and some of the stuff that they were doing. And I was working at these call centers and I just turned on my camera with the people that I met on the streets that some of them didn't even speak Spanish. And they had no family in Mexico. You're saying they, were, they spoke English. They only spoke English. They didn't yeah. speak Spanish. Okay, yeah. yeah. A bunch of deported people because a lot of... People think, oh, deportation, uh, homeless deportees, Tijuana. You know, like, yeah. because that's where yeah. everything's happening, blah, blah. But for the longest time, nobody was looking into Mexico City. And because they were, there were three planes every week. Each plane was, had a, around like 150 people. So like 450, 430 people a week for the last three years that wow. I know of were being deported. Wow. Uh, and a bunch of those guys, like they're from other states. They're not even from Mexico City or don't have any family. So, and if you get deported during election time, you can't get an ID because during the presidential elections, 
here in Mexico, they stopped giving out ID six months prior to the elections. So wow. that's six months, 430 people a week, just in one spot. Imagine all the spots at the border, the 11 other spots at the border. Um, so yeah, like, and if that's during elections, you can't get an ID. So you're undocumented here as well. So a lot of people end up in the streets and I kept, wow. I just turned on my camera and recorded some of those dudes. Like, I try to be like, I try not to be so intrusive, like the media was doing to me, to other people that was around, you know, so I, I had a lot of good chances to put really hardcore stuff there, but I decided not to, because uh, a lot of these guys are my friends, you know, like I'm not out there trying to get the story. I'm not from the media or like, or someone even like Vice, dude, I'm going to, I don't even like Vice, they, they did that with, um, with people that I know, they did it to me. They were like, oh, we want your story, blah, blah. We'll give you some money. And like, you know, so. But what, you felt like just, it was you. like, you you felt like it was like exploitative. Like they were just like, hey, we just want to pop in to, you know, ask you about mm -hmm. your trauma and then just disappear yeah. basically. Yeah. That, that's basically that all they've done really. Yeah. Like it goes. To, it well, what goes about, to I mean, I, I, for, I do uh, want to ask a couple things, but um, I was only going to say just very quickly because we, you know, you mentioned that you took this trip to Mexico City, um, but you also talked about call centers. When you and I were talking before the show, you were telling me about like what, why the call centers are, centers are significant for people who have been deported from the U.S. back to Mexico and how it's like a community of kind of like deportees. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's what that's part of yeah. the story. That's that's very interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, well, when I first arrived here, you know, like I started getting a job at this call center in Mexico City. And for the first few months here in Mexico, like I thought I was the only one. I didn't know anybody around me that also grew up in the States, you know, like, and were now deported. So, but once I went into the call center, I started meeting all these other people because that's when the early 2010, 11, 12 is, it was the boom of call centers. I think it's still happening. Like the boom of call centers is happening here in Mexico City because a lot of people, trans, all these transnationals are bringing in their businesses to Mexico because there's more Mexicans that speak English like Americans, like gringos, you know? So, so you're so, saying like, mm -hmm. um, these are, these call centers provide whatever customer service for uh, corporations right. that have American customers. Right. So like, I don't, you know, I have a problem with my refrigerator and I call their 800 number, like they're patching that mm -hmm. call through to a call center in Mexico city because there are people there who speak English because they grew up in the United States and then got deported. Is that right? Yeah. You got your 1-800 numbers, your customer service numbers, you know, for yeah. cable, internet companies, you know, like, and banks for whatever, man, any, any place that has a, like a customer service, it's, yeah. I bet it's here in Mexico, a lot of those places. Because So was that was that part of your film then? Like when you, is, is the call center, like that hub, uh, like part of the film where you go there and kind of explain that story and then profile the people uh, who are working there to in some ways bit. or, yeah. Yeah, a little bit I talk about it. It's hard. Um, it's hard to try to get something going inside a call center. Like 
because they're, they're watching, you know, so I can't pull out like my camera and try to record something. Yeah. And yeah, so like basically the film is just like my process and the whole time I didn't really look at it that way, you know, like my process of the different spaces that I'm, that I find myself in, in this post deportation uh, journey or whatever, you know, like, I mean, all these different spaces, meeting all these different people with different stories, like, like, you know, like people that also returned with their whole family and my girlfriends in the story, you know, like that way I started filming her before we were dating. And wow. now we started dating and now it's weird. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like, like, well, on, yeah. on the one hand, on the one hand, it's a good way to meet somebody. You know, that's a very honest way to meet somebody. But at the same time, uh, someone who was a subject is now, you know, a big part uh-huh. of your life. So you got to navigate that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I am curious, you know, it's funny, you know, we've made it this far in the show hearing about your film and the work that you've done without really talking too much about your story. I don't want to be one of those media members who just hops in yeah. and is like, what's up? Tell me your story, but it is relevant. So, uh-huh, yeah. you know, whatever version of it you want to tell is, is cool. But I am curious, like, how have you decided to tell your story in the film? And like, what, what was your experience? You know, like what, where did you grow up and when did you, you know, come back to Mexico? Yeah. Well, you know, like this in the last few years, I've been doing a lot of reflecting about my process, you know, because you got to get to a point where you reflect about why these things are happening to you. You know, it's not like you're just deported, like, Oh, okay. My parents took me. Now I'm here. Like I fucked up because can I swear? Yes, you can. You can, but you can, you can fucking swear Lalo. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so yeah, they'll be like, oh, I fucked up. It was my fault. Now I'm here and I deserve this. But there's, it's everything systematic, you know, like, so sometimes you, you don't have time to reflect on your process. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years. Um, also working with communities here, deported communities here. I've been reflecting about my process and writing a lot. So I've been writing a lot about my process and what I come to find out, obviously it's a healing uh it's a healing situation when I write, but that's, I've learned a lot about myself and how to tell my story. But like, you know, like I like talking about where I grew up because I think where I grew up and how I grew up as an undocumented kid uh, has built me in, in the way that I am now, you know, my experiences and like, it has given me this, like it has opened my eyes to other undocumented experiences which also, which that, if you reflect on that, is going to give you an insight or going to open your eyes to other deported experiences, you know, because I grew up in Utah in the 90s and early 2000s. I was a teenager, you know, like, so I grew up around that time where it wasn't too oppressive towards the undocumented community. I always had a license. There was in-state tuition. There wasn't like immigration around the place you didn't have to grow up like hiding from immigration and then i get deported and i'm starting to work at this call center so we're meeting other people and they're like wow you had a license i was like yeah didn't you like no like you know and why you had so these are people you're saying like because it was the 90s and we didn't have a lot of like punitive immigration policies like you were able to get a driver's license but you're meeting people who were you know living in a different part of the country at a different time like what in the 2000s after 9-11 and they never Uh, got a driver's license that kind of thing yeah well 
I like to narrow it down, and I sometimes I compare myself to people my around my age group, my generation, how how we grew up around that time. You know, like so early two thousands were kids in the nineties, early two thousands were teenagers, and uh, so yeah, so early two thousands around when I started driving, I I always had a license. I never had to worry about that type of stuff. You know, like there was always a bunch of work, and but like I said, I get here and there's all these stories like. Well, you had a car? I was like, yeah, I had cars. Like, Because they were always using public transportation because maybe they lived in New York or maybe they lived in a big city where like it was easier to get around by bike or by, you know, like maybe they had to carpool to work. That was their whole life, maybe. Maybe they dropped out a, a lot of, I met a lot of people that just right after middle school or right after junior high, their parents like, oh, you don't need school. You just go to work. Without, or I've met people here that they grew up over there, but since they left since 10 years old they were working in the fields so they never went to school like their their english level though they speak english but it could be different than someone that did go to school you know but it's this different realities that i come to find out i'm like holy shit like my experience was very different than other people you know like and i have met a few people but uh not too many that grew up in the mountains and grew up you know, like in Oregon or Washington and grew up fishing, yeah. hiking, and just had that experience. And yeah, so it's very diverse. And I think that has opened up my my eyes towards other realities. So I like talking about where I grew up because I grew up, you know, just like, a, I always knew I was Mexican, but I, I there were like five Mexican families when I was in elementary school, like in that little town, Heber City. There weren't mm-hmm. too many, you know, like, so I saw, like, early 2000s, I saw more Mexican families moving in and stuff, more kids at school. But then I, like I said, I come here and I meet people that all their kids in school were Mexican. You know, yeah. Even when in the States, they're like, they grew so what up you're saying, I mean, obviously it's clear that there is a huge diversity in experiences on, like, both sides, right? Like... For people who are Mexican immigrants growing up in the United States, maybe we have one narrative that's like, oh, okay, you came over here when you were an adult and you went to L.A., you know, whatever, and you found a job, you know, and did okay. And then it's like we have that kind of understanding of a whatever, Southern Californian, Southwestern kind of like Mexican immigrant, probably a person who comes from one of the northern states in Mexico, you know, people from Michoacan or something like that, you know, but there's so many any different experiences as you're saying like you can be an indigenous person from way south in mexico and then end up you know in rural tennessee or something and having a, an experience like that which i think kind of like how we talked about terminology earlier it's like yeah dreamer is a misleading uh name because there are so many different experiences that people had and different goals that people had it's also important to remember the diversity of experiences not just for people in the US, right? But then also, as you're saying, when people get sent back, we think, oh yeah, you got sent back over the border. Now you're in Tijuana and 
you know, you got it's like, no, there's also airplanes going to Mexico City and there's all, you know, and people have to figure it out from there. I think that's very helpful. I know that this is information that you're intimately familiar with because this is your experience and this is the experience of, of people that, you know, and your friends. But I think for our listeners and certainly for me, this is a good reminder that like when we're talking about, you know, who we want to vote for or when we're talking about immigration policy, there is a huge diversity of experiences for people. Um, I mean, across the immigrant spectrum, right? There's, you know, the other thing that we, the other mistake that we make is when we're talking about immigration in the United States, for some reason, it's like we're only thinking about immigrants from Mexico. You know what I mean? Like we're not thinking about people from Guatemala. We're not thinking about people from Dominican Republic or people coming from Western Africa or from Southeast Asia. You know, it's like there are a lot of different kinds of immigrants from all over the world, but this dominant narrative in the U.S. is about, you know, immigrants coming from Mexico and we have have to, I think it's a very important reminder that like immigration, uh, there is no one immigrant story. You know what I mean? There are like literally yeah. millions, millions of immigrant stories. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about like where we come back uh, or when we come back is, is when and where, you know, like where do we come back when, when a lot of people like, it, like me that grew up over there that were taken as kids, when we get deported, we're gonna go either to our the pair the house that our parents left behind, or at a grandma's, or an aunt's, or relatives, you know. But there, uh, many things happen. I've heard, I've I have friends that I have this friend. Oh man, I wonder where he's at. I haven't heard from him in a while. But um, I have this friend. He grew up in Wisconsin, Chicago, those two states. He ended up getting deported, and their family. His family is from a very rural town in Guerrero. And that place right now is one of the worst states with narcos and all that stuff. And so he comes back to Guerrero, to this little hut, his little land, plot of land that his, that his parents gave him, you know, because like, okay, we're not over there, so there's the piece of land. It's your hut, it's your house. So he comes back and just, he's there for a few days. And then the narcos come, the cartel came. He's like, who are you? I was like, I'm the son of blah, 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 and this is their house, so I'm here. Well, this is ours now. We're growing shit here. And they, they just come in. They displace people. They just come into the small villages, small towns, and just displace everybody. So you come back to where your parents left, and it's worse. You know, like they, his parents left because there was no work, because it was during uh, NAFTA, you know, like, so the agriculture, a lot of Mexican farmers were displaced or NAFTA. So they left because they didn't have work. And now he comes back and he's displaced because that place is infested with cartels. Wow. And and like there's so many stories, you know, you a lot of people that come back and they hear about call centers, but there's no call centers in their little town where they come back to, you know, so they immigrate. There's a lot of migration within the states here with deportees because you come back to the place that your parents left there's no work there still so they have to migrate and they hear a homie they got a homie hey i work at a call center or or come to a resort you know you speak english it's either that resorts right a lot of a lot of homies are good making good money at resorts because they speak english or call centers or or you go to school you know like but yeah sometimes 
it's just it's just a process it's not like you get here okay what am i what am i gonna do or like it's not like you get here like okay i'm gonna go to school or i'm gonna do this because it's a whole process that you have to go through you know like you maybe one day you you decide to go and try to jump the border and go back with your family you know like if you get deported and you didn't have kids you didn't have a girlfriend so it's like a fresh start in a way for many, you know, like, but what if you got deported and left kids and you love your kids and you were going to do what, whatever the hell you can to be with your kids, then you're going to yeah. cross that border. You know, you're going to, I don't know, get a, a few kilos on your back, you know, strap a few kilos on your back and hop that border. Cause you got to go to your little girl's recital on Monday. Wow. Yeah. You know, and like, it's so, it's, it's so different. And you know what I, Oh, I hate this. But what's happening right now with the community here in Mexico, there's no such thing as a successful return or a non-successful return because it's so diverse for everybody. You know, but there's a lot of people that are, because of circumstances, maybe they had family that helped them out or they went to school or they did something positive, whatever that is with their lives. So they're like, oh, you, I did it so you can do it too. You know, like, yeah. like, okay, did you have yeah. kids? Did you have a mortgage? Did you have, you know, like, like yeah. all these things that they, uh, even people from their own community, they don't think about. It's so different for everybody. And, and yeah, so I think that's why I like talking about a little bit how I grew up. So, and then I like to tell these other stories of how other people grew up so people can see how it's so diverse, you know, a little bit at least. Yeah. No, I mean it's it sounds fascinating. I'm 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 hoping that you will keep us updated on the progress of the film, you know, wherever it is screened and whenever you're ready to share it with the world because this is a subject that um, you know, I don't think a lot of people really understand. You know what I mean? It's so intricate. You've already explained why Americans don't really understand it. And also it sounds like a lot of Mexicans don't really fully understand it. You know, it's very uh, it's a very unique situation, you know, in terms of circumstances, but it's not unique in terms of numbers, because this is a lot, a lot of people that we're talking about, as you're saying, you know, uh, airplane 450 people a day for this many weeks. Like this is a this is the experience of many, many people that's not being heard. So I, I would just say for what it's worth, it sounds like this film is very important because I have not heard this story told very well um, in any media that I've seen. Like you said, I've seen some Vice videos or I've seen, you know, some articles here and there in some mm -hmm. kind of highbrow like New York kind of magazines, you know, but in terms of a general audience understanding this experience, like this is a, a very necessary document that you're working on. So, you know, for what it's worth, we, you know, we support you. We're your fans now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I was, yeah. uh, I actually won a scholarship to go study, to go finish it in Cuba, go study in Cuba and try to get the resources there to finish it. And that was supposed to be this uh, summer, but then the pandemic came and, I lost my chance to go to Cuba, but that'll be next year. They postpone it till next year, and hopefully, I can okay. get some some resources there for the post production and just get it out of the way, man. Because all these other projects that I have, especially for the last three years, I've been on this like creative roller coaster kind of thing, you know, like, and uh, so I'm just writing. I'm going. I'm doing a lot of things, but th I feel like the documentary has got me stuck because it's so personal. I, I try to not make it personal and at the end it is so there's a lot of reflecting a lot of writing and and yeah i just want to get it out of the way you know uh something that i wanted to mention is 
uh, there's this undocumented artist that I really, really admire. His name is Yossi, Yosimar Reyes. He's a writer. He's a poet, too. And uh, he said something a few months back that undocumented artists are like late, they're late bloomers, you know, like, and that's how I feel. Like, I think around the time when I got deported, I was barely starting to get into film. Barely, you know, like I was, it was my first semester in college when I was 23. And, and because I had all this process, all this, I was doing community organized. I was trying to be like, what the hell? Like, I belong here, you know? I grew up here in those mountains. Why do they want to kick me out? And you have to go through all those processes, and then you start doing your thing. Try to be creative and stuff. I think that's how it happens. And here, I went through my process first, you know? Like, four years of, like, just doing... Thing, like bad things with to my body and stuff like that, you know, with drugs and alcohol. And uh, and then I'm like, oh, shit, I need to get back on, like, something. Back where I – try to go back where I left off, you know, try to start where I left off as much as I can, which is film. And I think that has uh, helped me. Like, so I've been doing – I just want to get out of the way because there's all this other stuff that I want to do. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that's actually a very good transition because we spoke uh, before the show just about all the different aspects of art that you're engaged in. Uh, I know that you're a writer. I know that you're a filmmaker. And I also know that you're a poet. Um, and we wanted to have you share some stuff on the show, some of your work, um, just because, you know, from what you shared with me, it sounds like it's very reflective. One, first of all, just like, you know, beautiful language, right? So nice work, um, but also very reflective of your experience, um, your specific experiences and the experiences of others uh, and your play with language, right? Like you've described reading these pieces for audiences in Mexico that have a hard time with it, right? Because you use some English, you use some Spanish, you use some slang, and it's a it's a method of communication that is unique to people who have a similar uh, experience. So, um, I'm very interested to hear the work, and you know, you whatever you've selected, I know that you selected a couple things to read. Please feel free, but you know, if you uh, just let us know right before you read a little bit about the piece. Um, and also a little bit about the language. I'm curious about how you use language, how you use English and Spanish and slang and, and how that impacts your work. Yeah, well, yeah, like you said, there, sometimes I'm in these different spaces trying to uh, do slam poetry or spoken word, and I feel like I don't connect with, their, with the scene, with the, with the slam poetry scene in Mexico. Where, like I told you the other day it's growing you know and i've been i think i've been a part of this scene that has been growing in the last few years and i feel very privileged to be part of that scene here in mexico uh but still i'm at these spaces and they don't really i don't feel like i can connect these people are like oh he mixes english and spanish that's cool but they don't really know what i'm talking about but when i present either at, at a shelter or outside a call center the people that have gone through this, they, they can click immediately. They can relate, you know, they can relate to working at a call center. They can relate to growing up undocumented, you know, through all those things, to detention centers. And I think that's where I like to talk about my work a little more or show my work 
uh, I would right now I consider myself more of a spoken word poet than than a filmmaker because my film has been, has been on the down low. I just I just want to come out with and just be like, here it is, bam, you know, like, and so I've been winning some little grants here and there, but it's all on the down low. But my docu my my poetry it's it's been out there, so I like to tell myself I'm a little bit more of a poet than a filmmaker but hopefully soon that i can also call myself a filmmaker once i get this shit out <laughs> um yeah. but okay let me see oh i'm gonna read you one that i haven't done in a long time it's called leftovers now that we're talking about call centers um yeah leftovers uh this one i wrote it like four years ago three or four years ago and it just um Leftovers, because I think sometimes we are what's left here in Mexico. We're what's left over of what our parents, of our parents, you know, because I write about, about and for my community, my, this, this people that were taken over there as kids, you know, we grew up over there. We're bicultural, you know, bilingual, bicultural. And I write about my people. And the, I and people that have worked at call centers, they can relate to this. And it's leftovers. I feel like we're left over whatever our parents, our parents, left here in a way. But uh, are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. I need to stand up, man. I can't just say a poem and stay still. Nice. All right. Cool. So this uh, this poem is called. Leftovers. <clears throat> Una de las cosas que más extraño from back home is the Puff Puff Pass. Damn, I miss the Puff Puff Pass. Aquí, la raza, they just smoke up and then te pasan la bachita. Once again with the leftovers, as if I hadn't had enough of that. Yo y todos los que conozco aquí, that's who we are. That's where we're at. Left over here, left over there, left at midnight at the border, left without a hope to spare. Durante el día, the homie next to me contrasts what he had back home with what he doesn't have no more. He tells me he almost owned this truck until I showed up one day looking for another paisa. Fuck. Two payments away and you'll have your title, he, still, he tells the stranger on the phone as the irony melts that customer service smile off his face. And that is all that's left for him. Y para mí también. Leftovers con ironía. Leftovers con ironía. Bitter taste, melancolía. I'm a leftover. De lo que dejaron mis papás cuando los expulsó este país. I'm back with a vengeance, but without an ID. Here, where my skin matches their skin, by my words they just won't fit. Donde el que no tranza no avanza. We get up, they make us trip. Por eso te digo that we are what's left. Adentro de call centers encierran the biggest identity theft. 
telemarketing companies endorsing racist campaigns. And now we're all enslaved in the foreign investment game. Aya? We're just alien numbers inside a database. Yaka, no más vagamos vagamente trying to stay sane. Wow. That's fantastic. Thank you, Lalo. I have to say, just, you know, from a personal perspective, I really like that you start with the Puff Puff Pass. It's a very good metaphor <laughs> about leftovers. <laughs> I also have to ask, is Puff Puff Pass an American thing where you hit the weed and then pass it along? Or are you saying, oh, yeah, dude. like, that's an American thing? All right. <laughs> See, I, like, I'm learning. That's, yeah, that's a little bit of what I talk about at the beginning. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I picked I up on here, it, but I now I got to know the backstory. Yeah, once I got here and I started smoking here, I didn't used to smoke as much back home, and I started smoking here a little bit more, and I started noticing that they wouldn't pass it. They're just, they're just, <laughs> they're just like sit there and just start telling this whole story or start drinking, and they wouldn't pass it. And I'm like, what the hell? And it took me like a year or so to like, and then until I mentioned it to another homie. I think it was the first time that I smoked with a guy that came from the States and he yeah. puffed and he puffed and he passed it. Yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, you just, <laughs> you just do that. He's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, nobody does it here. He's like, I know, man. <laughs> and like, and, and that's, yeah, amazing. So that's, that's uh, a little bit of leftovers. I hadn't done that one in a long time. I love it, man. That's It's a very, very good metaphor for what you're trying to talk about in that piece. Um, and it's also a very interesting factoid uh, for me, the old Puff Puff Pass. We take it for granted, you know. We take the Puff Puff Pass for granted. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so do you want to share another one before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, All right. Let's see. I haven't I haven't uh, done any poems in a while, so and you know I need to be more active in social media because I have a lot of stuff and I just like I just barely got my first smartphone like two years ago and I just barely got Instagram like two months ago, three months ago. Like I'm very not not with the program with that uh, but, we, ne neither are we me the main thing that me and eming talk about is like yo what are we going to do about social media and then it's like well i don't know are you going to do it and it's like i don't know are you going to do it and then eming ends up doing it and she does a really good job so that's that's what usually happens but i'm with you bro i'm trying to catch up i got to be better about social media so it's never too late yeah. as they say what did you say uh, uh late bloomers right yeah there you go you're you're a late bloomer on social media there's nothing wrong with yeah. that <laughs> all right all right well this next one is called undocky woman undocky woman is basically about all the i wrote it thinking about my mom a little bit but it can it can be general to all the undocumented women that had to raise their children uh, by herself, you know, to the single undocumented mothers, basically, uh, because I feel like that happens a lot in in the undocumented Mexican community. I can't speak about other countries, but what I've seen with the Mexican community, um, like the guy will take the the guy will take the mother and the kids, then he'll just beat the shit out of her. 
they end up getting divorced and she's left with the kids. Um, that's not totally what happened with my family, but somewhat, you know, and I see that a lot in the undocumented community. So hopefully that changes, you know, with generations because it's really shitty, you know, like, and yeah, so here we go. Undocu woman. <clears throat> Undocu woman. Nowadays, I'm never lost. I know that north is that way. Because I know that home is that way. Because I know that mom is that way. A $3,000 short for bail mom. A mom whose mental health is on the line. Medical bills breaking her spine. Aseguranzas haunt her mind. A mom quien un güey se la llevó. Le plantó dos, tres putazos, luego lo dejó. Uvisa in her pocket, though. Can't fix those years. They're way too gone. Yo tampoco me pude y yo tampoco me pude componer. I couldn't see, no pude ver. Undocu-teen at it again. Blind to the resilience de la undocu-mujer. Yes, my mother was my manager at Wendy's. At times I had to throw down with some rednecks for making fun of her mom's accent on the drive throughout time she let it go. Y yo bien pendejo, I didn't know. Todo lo que soportaba to give her kids a home. Two jobs, overtime, kids on their own. Bought a trailer, vino Walmart, y no la quitó. Y allá en esa traila, I once saw my mom fall off the roof, the rooftop, straight onto her head. She bounced right up, y me dijo que me iba a poner una chinga if I ever mentioned it to anybody. So that's why I'm mentioning this. Para poder estar juntos once again, swinging and swinging her chancla away, disguising a smile because she knows that she's playing. Para morder su cabello con todas mis fuerzas, back to childhood when we didn't need any papers. These undocu-lives permeating in the essence of the Wasatch Mountain pine trees. Sense of belonging to me. But I smelt these types of moments away every day. Look at me out here stray. But it is what it is. What's done is done. Except separations, extortions, diaspora that's still going on. And our mothers still sweep, mop, and flip without all of their sons. That's it. Wow, On another fantastic piece. This is some really powerful work, Lalo. Are you, um, do you get a lot of love when you do these events? I know you said sometimes people have a hard time getting it, but when the people do get it, I mean, they must be losing their minds, right? Yeah, a lot of people cry. Yeah, this is really, you know, it's incredibly powerful material. Um, I, can, I can say that I, I can make cholos cry. <laughs> nice. I think I, I maybe quite to that. That could be, you know, maybe the name of your of the poetry book. You know what I mean? I mean, I make cholos cry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think, that's, that's great. Why I love I love performing like this thing because I do I 
only in, in the specific spaces, you know, and I need to be more out there maybe on social media so I can reach out to the specific people that maybe want to hear this. Or, yeah. Basically, so they don't feel so alone, you know? If there's one phrase or something that they can click and be like, oh, damn, I'm not the only one feeling like this, then I fucking did something. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. No, that's... You're exactly right. You know, that that is the power of art. You know, when people are able to connect their experiences or when they see themselves in in something that somebody wrote or somebody made. Uh, that's why we love art. You know what I mean? Because you think you're alone. Uh, you think you're the only person who has your experience and then you see it in somebody else's. Um, that's a beautiful thing. You know, you're doing great work, Lalo. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate man. it. Of course. You sit down. <laughs> yeah. Just so our viewers, you know, you guys only hear the audio. You don't get to see the video. But Lalo, he wasn't playing. He's like, okay, it's time to read some poetry. Stood up, stepped back from the table, you know, hands up. Looked like you were getting ready for a boxing match. You know, <laughs> um, hopefully one day I'll get to see you, you know, in some kind of slam poetry competition or something. Because those are, um, that's incredible work. Thank you for sharing those, Lalo. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, yeah. man. Um, and I want to thank you for being here today. This is incredible. Like I, my favorite episodes are always the ones where I learn a lot, where I feel like I'm getting schooled and I really felt like I got schooled today in a good way. You know, you really helped me to understand the complexities of this issue. And, you know, I, I hope, and I think that's true for our listeners too, you know, to understand the diversity of experiences and the range of experiences through your own, you know, which is what you're doing with your film and, and what you're doing with your poetry. So, uh, thank you from me. And, uh, you know, I'll say thank you on behalf of our listeners, too. It was, it was a pleasure having you here, Lalo. Thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for inviting me. And I'm glad I was able to meet you. You mean? Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying your name right. But I'm, I'm glad I was able to be on this show today. And it's my first podcast, I think, that I've ever been in. Nice. So, you know, nice. So it's awesome to be here. Yeah. Well, what we'll do is we'll send you a link, you know, so you can share it. I know you said you're a late bloomer to social media. This is a good place to start. Share the link, you know, <laughs> it'll yeah, it'll help sure, to man. attract more listeners. And as you said, you know, possibly build that community, find more people out there. That's what the Internet is for, finding people like you. You know what I mean? Well, you know, sometimes it's to find people who aren't like you, but usually we like to use the Internet to find people like us <laughs> for some crazy reason. Yeah. We could talk to anybody in the world, but we only want to talk to people who are like us. So, yes. Thank you, Lalo. I, I appreciate it. Please come back on the show. You know, when your film is done, come back on the show anytime you want to talk yeah. about the kind of work that you're doing. It's, it was great to have you. Um, so, yeah, you, you have an open invitation to come back. Say what's up to Shirley for us. We love her. We don't oh, get to yeah, see her sure. or talk to her that much because <laughs> she's busy, but she's cool folks. And I'm really glad that she introduced us. So. We'll have you on again yeah, soon. Sure. Thanks, uh, thanks as always to our producer, Eming. You were very patient with us. We, it was a bumpy road tonight. I know we got bumped off. I was late. But you know what? Good things are worth waiting for. This was a good episode. So thanks for being patient, Eming. That's our producer. She, she's a magician. That's, I think that's the right word, magician. Not, not bruja, right? Magician. <laughs> I'm okay with that word. She's okay with bruja. Okay, all right, cool. All right, all right. Um, so yeah, thanks to you, Lalo. Thanks to Eming. Uh, thanks as always to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.